0: You have, you have those experiences yourself. Do you sense, feel, have a conviction about something going on that doesn't meet the eye? It's a very weird experience, actually, to be human, to be surrounded, to be enmeshed in and immersed in an entirely physical, seeable world, and then live With this idea that there's more going on that I cannot see. You've done it since you walked in this room. You were singing to an invisible God. You look like fools, actually. If someone were to come in from the outside, what are you doing? Get yourself rooted in the... Snap out of it. What are you doing singing to nobody? That's what it seems like. But you've experienced those... It isn't nothing... There is something palpable about, even Lisa's story, you can resonate with and think, yeah, there actually is something more meaningful, more purposeful, even more real going on here. Like, you know it, and you can't see which is weird. It comes up in um, Ephesians, for sure, well, the Bible, it's hard to escape it. Paul says early on in this letter that we're working through, he refers to the mystery of God's will. The mystery of God's will. My first thought to that is, that's not helpful. That's not helpful that the will of God is a mystery. Because I want to live at the center of God's will, amen? How many of you want to live at the center of God's will? You want to understand clearly what God wants from you and live there. Well, it's a mystery. Why? Why, why? why would God even do that? Be clear. But that's the way it is. There is an invisible world, a spiritual world, a world that um, Lisa can attest to, you can attest to, that is call, calling. There's an invitation to come and see. Moses said, secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us. This is a fancy way of saying God knows everything and you only know what he lets you know. The secret things of God or the secret things belong to the Lord. Everything belongs to the Lord. The things that are revealed belong to us. <laughs> yeah. God says to Job, can you fathom the mysteries of God? Can you probe the limits of the Almighty? It's a rhetorical question of which the answer is No. Isaiah talks about it. Daniel talks about it. Jesus was often indirect and perplexing. One of my favorite moments, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, why do you speak to the people in parables? Why don't you talk straight to Jesus? Just tell us the answer. Why are you speaking in parables? And he says, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you but not to them. Okay, that's not clear either. (laughs) He's essentially saying, I'm giving you a puzzle with respect to the the kingdom, with respect to the mysteries, with with respect to what you cannot see. I'm giving you a puzzle because you now have what it takes to solve it and they don't. I'm giving you a puzzle because you can solve it. There's something about the solving. There's something about the pursuing. There's something about the looking that is part of God's invisible world. It's not just about him giving you the answer and telling you this is the way it is. It's looking for something more than automatrons with information. He's like, I want you to come ask me. I want you to figure it out. This is one of the most challenging things of being an empty nester. Everything that we raised our boys to do, they're doing. Which, if I could change it, I probably would. We raised them to have their own judgment, to take their own risks, to solve problems, to to go that way. And I'm like, hey, hey, Remember when you used to ask me for stuff? Remember when you didn't understand something and you came and you talked to me about it? I missed that part of the relationship. God never gave it up. I always say this. God is, was not a good father. I'm joking. But you're supposed to, you're supposed to let, him, let us run. And he's like, no, I'm going to be with you forever. And I'm like, I should have went to college with my kids. I should move in with them right now. That's what God does. He's with you forever. Why? Because there's a mystery. There's something that's not seen. And he wants to walk through that process of you figuring it out and getting to know him. It's beautiful, really. My wife and I watched a movie that we saw years and years ago. We forgot that we had seen it before. And every time I'd seen it, we'd be like, oh, I remember this. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. It's called the Adjustment Bureau. Overtly theological. It's a story of, of two people trying to find their way through life and find love that they have for one another. Meanwhile, there's this invisible world, of these men who show up every now and then that are making minor adjustments to their life to try to keep them on track with the great plan. And these people with free will continue to make choices to go sort of in the wrong direction, and they interject and bump it about. I mean, it's a little bit weird, but the whole time I'm watching, I think, this is, this is a metaphor. <laughs> This is the life I actually live. The one I can see and the one I can't see. It's not just an invisible world. It's an eternal, personal world. We, we, we learn that emphatically from Jesus. The incarnation, right? The, the, the God in the flesh. And Jesus, among other things, is essentially an appearance of God from the invisible realm to the visible, in large part, to point to the invisible. Are you with me? Jesus comes from the invisible, is carnated, takes on flesh into the visible in order to show us, to prove to us, to tell us there's actually an invisible and to invite us into it. It's, it's invisible, it's, it's eternal, and It's personal. Jesus came and said, everything that you kind of sense and you feel, it's true. And I want you to be a part of it. Maybe a verse that you've memorized and uh, read and know by heart for, depending, like long, long, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Something much bigger going on. Very personal. Shall not perish. Well, I am going to perish. Well, not in this sense. Not in the business. Of, you're going to have eternal life. Yep. And Jesus, he says it again. And John captures it this way. He's saying the same thing, but a little clearer. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives believing in me will never die. <laughs> What's he saying? There's two worlds. There's one you're going to die in and there's one you're not going to die in. God raised us up, Paul says, with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. That's past tense, seated. The believers in Christ, you, you are currently seated at the right hand of God the Father and in this room. Both. It's like being in a locked house that you've never been out of, and somebody comes through the door and tells you there's this whole world out there that you are partially an inheritor of. Here's the here's the the deposit key for the all the riches out there. Here's the here's the capacity for you to one day engage it and own it and have it be yours. And matter of fact, let me bring you over to the window because you can't go there now. But let me show it to you. And you open up the curtains and the. Windows are mostly frosted. Well, I can see something out there. I can see glimpses, little bits of it. I know there's something out there, but it's a little bit of a mystery. Well, let's turn on the radio because there's lots of stuff going on in the airwaves out there, and you can hear, not only see, you can hear turn on the radio. And it's like, it's like you hear some words, and it's like, oh yeah, I guess so. There, I guess there is a way I can see. It. But we right now we're in this house. Can't fully enjoy it, but this house is actually part of that greater world. Peter says, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope. It's not blind trust. Jesus is a, a living hope. Jesus comes from the invisible to the visible, shows up, says, There's a visible, is He he perishes, if you will, and then was raised to new life and then then goes back into that world. And we stand on this side of all that and go, oh, my gosh. There actually is another invisible world. I'm not crazy. I'm not in denial. Paul calls this uh, citizenship. Citizenship, new citizenship. He says to the church in uh, uh, Philippi, with tears, he says, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. In context, many live without regard to the fact that there is another world that Jesus pointed us to, is eternal, and is ours to participate in. Many live, he's weeping, as enemies of the cross. They say, what you see is all there is. And when you die, you're dead. And he says their destiny is destruction. They're just, they're, they're going to just die and destroy. Their God is their stomach. The, the only thing they find purpose in are the, the, the passions and the wants and the needs of this life. Their glory is in their shame. The thing that's going to define them is their shame. This life, you know it, I know it, it, Chews you up and spits you out. We make mistakes we can't get over. We make decisions we wish we never made. We find ourselves victims of our own sin and we are embarrassed and shameful and guilty and apart from Christ. That's where it ends. And Paul says, But our citizenship is in heaven. We've used this phrase in the past, it was coined by George Eldon Ladd now, but not yet. This sort of pithy way to explain we have a present partial experience of God's reign and blessings coupled with the future expectation of its full manifestation. We're citizens. Sometimes when I can't put things into words the way I want to, I just ask Adam to do it. And so I asked him, and he wrote this, He said, uh, God's revelations don't just tell us what will be true. In fact, that is not the primary use in Scripture or in common usage in ancient times. Instead, uh, a revelation reveals to us what is true now. It also reveals reality of what's going on here. One thing that Paul knew intimately well because it had been revealed to him is that Christ is actually king. Despite all appearances, it may seem like, in their case, Caesar is king and that we are citizens by fate of that kingdom. But the truth, the reality, the revelation is that Christ is the king and we are citizens of a different kingdom. The not yet, the now and the not yet. We are citizens in the not yet. And that not yet actually infuses something incredible into the now. There's something so powerful about that citizenship and that kingdom that it changes dramatically at its core this existence, I want you to imagine for just a second, like sort of a, maybe a stereotypical middle, a medieval city or kingdom. You may have to picture some movie, right? Just imagine it's just kind of mud and dirt roads and lots of shacks and shanties, and maybe there's a stone cathedral at the center and there's a big wall around the outside, and you see all the things going on, the marketplace and the vendors. And the guild halls and craftsmen and taverns and inns and you name it, right? Fortifications, guards, hospitals, doctors, livestock, stables, probably some caste systems in there, serfs and nobles. And you can picture that, right? And in the midst of all that hustle, bustle, this kind of picture, everyone's searching for an identity. They're searching for security or comfort, fulfillment, purpose, legacy. Those are human pursuits that have spanned time. It doesn't matter how small your world is or how large it is. It doesn't matter how obscure you are or how, you know, magnificently popular you are. You are trying to find your identity. You're trying to find security, comfort, fulfillment, purpose, legacy. Anybody in pursuit of those things, whether you like it or not, you are, right? The older you get, it's like, am I leaving anything behind? Maybe I should write a book or something, you know. I leave behind some finance, what can kind I, of, you know, legacy. And like, we're looking for fulfillment and security, some peace, right? And the way we go after those things, the, the way you have any success at all at finding your identity, your security, the way the world does it is to garner... Some power. We've been talking about this. You have to get some power to get those things. You have to have social power, political power. you got to have economic power, uh, intellectual uh, expertise or or vocational expertise or entertainment expertise so that you can achieve. You need like a religious reputation or religious superiority or maybe you just use manipulation, pure force or charisma to get what you want. But we pursue those things in life, those power structures, in order to find identity, security, comfort, fulfillment. That's what's going on in that picture of that medieval town. Everything we do, work, play, entertainment, in the midst of it all, the hustle bustle, this search to get some kind of power to get the things we need. Now, I want you to imagine another city, village, very similar, like pictured in your mind. Now, there's another one, which is just slightly bigger, and it's, and it's like in a coloring book. It's just the borders. It's invisible, and you overlay that onto the one that's there, the invisible world, right? It's actually the same thing. You know, what you do before you're saved before you've trusted Christ and what you do after pretty similar actually <laughs> we're doing the same kind of things in life raising families we're working it's a different context a different spirit but life is generally pretty much the same so you got this medieval town with all this stuff going you got this visible when you overlay it all the same stuff wonderful things of life buying selling praying stealing marrying bearing parenting struggling succeeding failing winning loving Losing, all that stuff. But in this one that you are a citizen of, this invisible one, you're unassailably content. Your identity, your value, your purpose, your future are absolutely permanently secured. That invisible world, which is real, Actually provides everything that you need by way of identity, value, purpose, future, all permanently, absolutely secure. there is no need for you to pursue any kind of power to get those things you have them. Try to imagine that. You are in that overlaid world that you. Believers are citizens of no insecurity. Can you even imagine that? No low self esteem, no arrogance, no guilt, no shame. Can you even imagine it? You're garnering rewards. Right, you're working, you're, you're, you're making money, uh, you're achieving things, you, you may have acquired wealth in the physical, none of it you long for or fear losing. Can you imagine? <laughs> you're getting it, you're gaining it. All this is the same life, but it, it, it is, is utterly meaningless. to You don't need it. And you're not afraid of losing it. Anybody afraid of the stock market going down? Not me. It's going down. There's no fear, really. Think about it. <laughs> it's just going. But what, 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 think about the, the, what those kinds of losses, whatever the losses are in life, whether financial or relational, what do they do to us? Can you imagine having none of those fears, none of those insecurities? Can you imagine anticipating? An indescribably beautiful future to a degree that it actually deeply soothes all the griefs and losses of this one. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine getting older, not being depressing, but exciting as the invisible world grows in your confidence and your imagination and the current one fades? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine death, although sad in the physical world, doesn't stir up fear but it puts, it's put in perspective by faith in this invisible. Can you imagine living life like that? A life of self-forgetfulness. Can you, is it possible that you wouldn't be thinking about yourself? <laughs> you can sense all of this hope, all of this reality in Paul as he pivots from part one to part two in his book to the, to the Ephesians. When he pivots from this life in him to this life out of him, this life of new citizenship and now to new civilization. This is he's transitioning from. You have a citizenship. Now what does civilization look like under that new citizenship? You can hear it. In his transition, the last verses in Ephesians 3, leading into the second half of the book, he says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. And what's he talking about? Bigger churches, larger families, more love in the family, more uh, this, more that, bigger bank. Is he talking about those things? No, we can imagine those things. I can imagine those things. I can imagine a better family. I can imagine a bigger bank account. I can imagine a better church, a bigger building. I can imagine. More than you can imagine is referring to the things we just talked about. These confidences, these securities that we have. Lack of fear. It's much deeper. He says more than you can imagine. According to his power that is at work within us. Within us. How does it feel? To imagine that citizenship in that invisible world providing that kind of gravitas, confidence, peace, security while you live this life which wants to do the exact opposite to you. It should feel powerful. You should feel Paul's excitement about, now that I've explained to you again what you have in Christ, let's talk about the future. And it should be even more powerful if you consider where Paul is right now while he's writing the letter. Where is he? Prison. And you know, he's probably shackled to a guard. That's how they did it. He was under house arrest. He had no freedoms to go anywhere. He could have a couple visitors, probably a scribe, and he was actually shackled to a guard. So when Paul recites this line to the scribe and says, now to him is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. And he looks at the guard. And the guard's like, who's going to buy that? You can't even get out. Your God can't even get you out of jail. How can you speak of the power of God? You can't undo this shackle. Your God has no power. Paul writes in Ephesians 4.1, As a prisoner for the Lord then... I urge you to be a citizen of this world, essentially. I'm paraphrasing. As a prisoner for the Lord. Paul's like, he looks at that guard and he thinks, you're not holding me prison in prison. God is. I'm here because God, you think I'm here because you have captured me? No. No, Paul with complete confidence is like, I'm here because God wants me here. He, Paul hasn't been in this situation before. You remember the story? This is my favorite story. With the Paul and Silas, they're in jail. The earthquake comes. The chains fall off of them, and they are free to go. And if they go, the guard that's there will die. The punishment of allowing a prisoner to go under that penal system would be, you die if you let them go. The earthquake frees them. I think the lights go out, and the guard, is gonna, he's going to take his own life. And where are Paul and Silas? Do they run for their lives? Nope. They say, hey, don't hurt yourself. We're still here. We are still here in this prison where the doors are open, the shackles have dropped. We can leave. But you know why we're here? Not because of you, but because of God. <laughs> they know that. They, they're citizens of a different world. So are we. Where God has you is not where someone puts you. It's not even where you put you. According to this world, according to this God, it's where God puts you. The power in Paul, due to his identity of eternal citizenship, humility, utter confidence in God's providence, disempowers the powers of this world. He says it's immeasurable. All the pursuits of power that we go after to bring us our identity our comfort, our security, our value, our purpose, they ultimately control us. They overpower us by requiring a perpetual pursuit. And then if we acquire it, the fear of losing it, the powers of this world own you. The power of God frees you. It changes everything. We see it everywhere in the New Testament. We see everywhere that Jesus' followers are choosing, actually choosing to lay down their power, to choose powerlessness so that the power of God can come. It is an upside-down way of living. Turn the other cheek. That's a laying down of power. That is a vulnerable place to be. But it says... You cannot threaten to extort me. You cannot threaten to control my uh, uh, behavior. I'm I'm allowing you a second free shot. Voluntarily. Jesus says, when your enemy says to carry your cloak a mile, carry it two miles. I always imagine that story where the, the guy's like, I gotta carry some stuff and I'm gonna get this dude over here to carry it. And it's like, where's my stuff? And the guy already has it, and he's half a mile down the road. You cannot control that person. You cannot overpower that person. You can't make that person carry your stuff if they're carrying your stuff and voluntarily. Everywhere you turn, Jesus is teaching, put your power down. Generosity, giving away what we have that gives us power is literally a redistribution of power. You're giving it to somebody else. The vows we make, the voluntary confinements of vows say, I am not going to retain the power to do whatever I want. I'm gonna promise to somebody else or God that I'm gonna stay into this space. I'm gonna stay here. Powerlessness. What do we do? We break vows. Why? Because it's within our power. I don't wanna be constrained by that anymore. Whatever that promise was. Jesus, Paul, everyone's always saying, "For who's, who's required to submit in the context of the New Testament? Everybody. No one escapes that. Submit, lay down your power. What is forgiveness? If it's not a laying down of the power to hold something over somebody's head, of rightful justice. Even Jesus. You've noticed throughout the Gospels, when he did something that was Powerful from a worldly point of view, controlling the weather, making water into wine, whatever it was. You know what he did? He kept his head down. He was always saying, don't, don't, don't tell anybody about this. Why? Because that is not what the kingdom is of, that power. That power was used by Jesus for a particular purpose to prove he's from the invisible world. But never did he expect that the gospel that the, the invisible world, that God's kingdom would be defined by those sorts of powers. So he kept his head down. And when he finally asserted himself as the son of God in front of the Sanhedrin, he had actually, in effect, lost all of his power. It wasn't until he was powerless that he said, I am the most powerful. And then he allowed the taking of his own life. I actually find that moment more compelling, more, more profound, more mind-blowing than the actual resurrection. Like, to me, it seems easier for Jesus to be raised to new life than it is to lay down his power. Can you imagine? Can you even imagine if you had the power that Jesus had and you were being unjustly accused and about to be killed, that you wouldn't exercise some of that power? I can't even imagine what it takes You're going to be like Jesus to do that. If we don't understand the call of Jesus to live out of new citizenship power, then we spend our lives pursuing old citizenship power and being overpowered by the very powers that we depend on or pursue, rendering the promises of God to the world of power within, and our testimony becomes impotent. If we aren't exhibiting the internal new citizenship power of God, of peace and security and identity irrespective of this world, what are we selling? Not the right thing. If we don't have this perspective and we pivot into chapters 4, 5, and 6, that rest of his letter reads like a call for willpower in the do's and don'ts of everyday life. And people pick apart chapters 4 through 6 all the time. All of Paul's writings, they talk about it and they turn it into these rules and do's and don'ts, all very wonderful good do's and don'ts. But they miss the entire purpose of Paul writing, saying these things now happen from a power within, and you're not in pursuit of some greater thing in your life, some identity, some security. That's already grounded. You can live this life like this from a power within rather than seeking power out of it. Without that power, without that eternal citizenship, that humility, that faith in God, we are owned by power. We are controlled by fears. We are driven to self-protect and we become a spiritual blockade for others finding God. With the power of God, we are free without fear. And that's powerful. And it's a conduit for the power of God in the lives of others. The power of God in Christ has so much more to do in you than getting you out of prison. Let me say that again. The power of God, the power of new citizenship in Christ, the power to be and engage and be affected by the invisible world of God in this lifetime has more to do in and through you than getting you out of whatever prison you're in. You live in the prison of the effects of generational sin, things that your parents put upon you, You live in a prison of fear, you live in a prison of past decisions, repetitive sins, missed opportunities, disabilities, poverty, age, young or old, both are prisons in certain environments, right? Ideology, regrets, actual prison, marriage (laughs) as a prison. I literally say that to everybody I marry. Are you really, you gonna do this? It's voluntary confinement. It's meant for the refinement of your life, but it is a voluntary confinement. Guilt, shame, timing. (laughs) They're all prisons. In most cases, like it or not, the prison you're in, the one you can't get out of, I'm not telling you that you should find yourself in pain and just stay there. You know, if you can get out of bad situations, I would would encourage it. A lot of these, we can't. The prisons that you are in that you can't escape, it is of God's making. Or it's being permitted by him. God is in control. He is sovereign. And he isn't constrained by that prison that you're in. And in him, neither are you. Does Lisa seem constrained by the circumstances of her early married life? Not to me, she's light. (laughs) She's evidence of a different world, different power. Yeah, I look around the room, I'm a privileged person. I, I know the content of many of your lives. Than prisons that you that you endure, and God's power is not thwarted, and neither are you. Paul said, "My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness." Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And what Paul means by that is not I, but him. What do you say in Galatians? It's not I to live. It's Christ and me. Can you imagine? That kind of gravitas, that kind of security, that kind of meaning, assurance. It's available. I'm finish with this prayerful thought by Paul beginning of his letter to the Colossians. Paul's like a broken record. Same message all the time, over and over and over and over again. Slightly different to different people, dealing with different problems. Listen, he says to the Colossians. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you might have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He's before all things, in all things hold together because of him. When we live in that place, when we live as citizens in the overlaying kingdom. in that citizenship, with that humble faith, we discover the peace and the gravitas of a fully human life now and forever. Amen, church? Amen. Amen.